Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Brett Putter about how to define, embed, and manage company culture. Brett Putter, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation. You're joining us from, I'll, I'll say in air quotes, sunny Portugal, um, perhaps not so sunny at the moment. Uh, and we've had to reschedule this interview, so I've been really look, looking forward to it. it. You know, we live in an interesting time uh, with all sorts of life complications, and so I appreciate your flexibility and uh, today we're going to be focusing on culture, how to own our culture, and how we can define, embed, and manage our company culture. Uh, I think that's a really important piece right now. Uh, it's always an important piece for organizations, but I think particularly during this pandemic time and everyone's wrestling with how they can maintain and sustain you know, a, a meaningful company culture, even while, you know, often many of the employees are working remotely, or perhaps the entire workforce is remote for a, a particular company. So these are the types of, of things that we'll explore together today. As we get started, I just wanted to share Brett's bio with everybody. Brett Putter is an expert in company culture development, consulting with companies and leaders worldwide on how to design, build, and develop a strong functional company culture. He is a CEO of Culture Gene, a culture leadership platform helping high growth companies build strong functional cultures via software and human expertise. Prior to founding Culture Gene, Brett ran an international executive search firm working with high growth tech companies to expand their executive teams across Europe and the U.S., his first book, Culture Decks Decoded, was published in 2018, and his second book, Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture, was published in September of 2020. He writes a popular blog on culture-driven companies and is a sought-after speaker. Brett, it is a real pleasure to have you joining me on the podcast today. Welcome again, and before we launch into the conversation, anything else that you would like to share with listeners by way of personal background, context, anything like that? No, John, just uh, thanks for your flexibility as well. When we were last supposed to have this call, I had a pipe burst in uh, the roof of my house and um, there was chaos and pandemonium. So um, it didn't happen. But uh, thank you very much for your flexibility as well. My pleasure. And, you know, pipes bursting and water damage is like my biggest nightmare. Literally, the thing that keeps me up at nights and wakes me up in the middle of the night. I, I think I hear dripping and I'm like, there's water in the wall or something, you know. So I, I, I can relate like that's that's a stressful time. And I'm, I, I hope that things have been resolved and, and that you're uh, <laughs> things are OK at home. Thanks. Thanks. Well, as we get started, 
maybe you can start with just sharing a little bit more about um, why you got into this space, because I think listeners do appreciate that kind of a perspective, um, not only in terms of your own company, uh, but just really this this whole uh, consulting work around company culture, why that's important to you, why you got into the space, um, what inspired you, you know, to, to produce these two books, and then we can start to delve into some of the specifics in relation to defining, embedding, and managing company culture. Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I was the managing partner of an executive search firm, and um, I was lucky enough about five years ago now to work with three companies almost in a row where the CEOs had very clear understanding of their culture. And that actually meant that the searches I ran were different because those kind of, the, the, I was asked to find candidates that had the skills, the experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but specifically a match with the values of the company. And so that was a much harder search to do. You know, it's hard enough to find candidates anyway. Now you've got to find a match with values, which we didn't know how to do. So it took us longer. But actually, when we got to the interview stage and then post-interview, and then when the candidate joined, it was just chalk and cheese. The, the interactions were so different, so brilliant in, in, in so many ways. And then the, ways, the way the successful candidates impacted the businesses was just radically different from what we were used to. So that's where I, the penny dropped for me. And I thought, hold on now, this is where the, the miss, this is the missing link, really, because I, typically I hadn't been asked to do this. And so, um, you know, I'd heard about this phrase culture fit and I'd not taken too much, you know, uh, not paid too much attention to it because it wasn't demanded of us or required of us. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, this is, this is where the difference lies. And then I decided to really research culture. I started interviewing CEOs. I've written many, many blogs. And as you said, written the two books because that I found my passion. I found the thing that I want to do until I die. And then after that, if possible. Well, that's, that's wonderful. It's something that I'm quite passionate about as well. And it's this tricky thing because when we talk about culture fit, at least here, you know, in, in my context, sometimes that phrase is used as a pretense to basically allow for and provide cover for implicit bias and kind of prejudicial types of approaches towards the selection process that aren't appropriate. You know, I can say it's culture fit. And so then I only select people who are like me right? And that's not healthy for an organization. So that's not what we're talking about at all. And I feel like sometimes people who don't really understand culture fit, they kind of pervert the whole point, the whole idea of it. And it's not to just get a, a, a group of people together who all look, think, and act the same way. Um, rather, it's, it's these underlying kind of values, uh, a connection with the purpose and the meaning around the organization and what they do. And that's what we want to build on. Having a diverse group is, is essential if we want to have a successful organization, an innovative organization, and they're not um, competing goals. You can have a very diverse, inclusive organization that also has really great culture fit where you can have um, people really working together well, but also pushing on each other well in order to drive great outcomes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I sort of I have a little bit of a uh, a love hate relationship and more of a hate relationship with the phrase culture fit because I think people use it as a catch all for gut instinct or intuition, and yes. 
and it's you know it's, those gut instinct or intuition are not scalable they're not reliable they're highly fallible because it's about how i feel about you and if i woke up on the wrong side of the bed today i'm going to just feel bad anyway so also my gut instinct is different to your gut instinct and different to their their gut instinct so getting a company wide intuition that's that's consistent is really you know it's it's it, it, it can be done but you've got to do it for a long time and um, so I, going back to your point about values, I went with my clients, I, we work on, when, we, when we're building recruitment capability, we work on hiring for values fit. We work on hiring for how does this person match our values? Because actually, you can't fundamentally accurately define your culture. So if you can't define your culture, you can't hire for it properly. And so I, I'm definitely on the same wavelength as you on that. It's a, it's a, it's a real bugbear of mine. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk more about values. What do you see as some of the biggest um, mistakes, the challenges that organizations make when they're trying to define their values um, and then you know, go through that search process and try to bring people on board that have alignment? Because what I've noticed, well, one of the things I've noticed anyways is that organizations have their espoused values, what they, you know, what everyone says is important. And so they agree, yeah, these are important. They put it on their website. They say all the right things, but in terms of what the actual lived experience, the lived values of the organization, they don't always align well with the espoused values. And so then if you're trying to find value fit between, you know, applicants and, you know, working with a team, based on spouse values, as opposed to what's actually happening, then you have a mismatch, right? So yeah. that's one thing I see, but maybe you can speak to that point a little bit, but other mistakes that you see organizations make. Yeah. So, so that, that's, um, comes from the mistake of the leader, the leadership team dominating that, that conversation. And so we have this aspiration to be X and we have this aspiration to build this great business. And in order to do that, we have to do these great things. But actually what we're doing on the ground in the trenches is, you know, it's not X, it's Y. Um, and so what, what I do, what, what I try and do is get um, my clients to think about what are your current actual values of which there are negative values. So silo mentality or bottlenecks or what are your current values and behaviors and what are your aspirational values and behaviors? Let's look at the overlaps between the two. And then let's look at the impediments within the organization that are going to stop us achieving the aspirational values. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the values that are defined are a combination of current and aspirational. So you've, you've, got, you've got a little bit of let's continue to do what we're doing because that's great. And then let's stretch a little bit here. Another problem I see and a mistake I see companies make is they forget that values are already very much open to interpretation. So they, when we were in offices, they shoved them up on the wall and print mouse mats and put them on coffee mugs. Nothing would change because people were still interpreting it, those words for their own needs, not the needs of the organization. So I recommend companies define what I call expected behaviors against those values. So what is the expected behavior in the organization? And by definition, what do we not accept in this organization against this value? And that's where you then move towards clarifying, you move towards giving people the ability to make decisions based on these values. If you've got a choice between two and one is clearly a decision that matches the values, it's not such a hard choice. So that's where you start going deeper into the layers of the onion of really 
defining what it means in this organization to have these five words or phrases. Yeah, and then as as we articulate and, and identify what those those key values are, to your point, it's not just enough to to get you know collaboration and uh, connection around what those are at one point in time. It has to be continual. Um, conversation, right? It has to yeah. be embedded into the structure uh, and the mechanisms of the organization. It has to be built into the the screening and hiring and onboarding process, the performance management process. It has to be built into leadership development. It has like it just has to be pervasive across communication within the organization if it's going to have any meaning and value and take hold in any sort of of way. Otherwise, it just ends up like you said, to, it just ends up being, you know, on, you know, a piece of paper or on the website or on the wall, and it doesn't really do anything. And it just, it requires that continual attention, right? As we have a, a continual attention to it, and then we can also evolve over time as necessary, dependent on, you know, the marketplace and shifting internal and external pressures and, and things like that, because things do shift. Um, but we can then also, you know, still try to stay true to our core values while adjusting to the context. Yeah, I think this this point about communication and embedding um, and integrating it into everything. When in our process, we start with the leadership team, because if the leadership team, you know, if the CEO doesn't buy in and doesn't start behaving accordingly, if they're not, and then the leadership team won't change and the people who report to those people won't change. So it's pointless if you don't do it, if you don't start with the leadership team. And from there, you know, it's into all the processes, all the functions, all the disciplines in the organization. And then it's into um, the managing of it. Ultimately, Culture Gene, you know, our, our mission is to help turn company culture development into a recognized business function in the same way that sales, marketing, and engineering are. I mean, you wouldn't go to your, your board and say, we're not going to do anything about finance for the next six months. We just, you know, the finance team are going to take six months off. You know, you'd be, your board would get rid of you. But it's okay to not do anything about culture. It's, you know, and so that's where we need to get culture to. excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations.
Yeah, I, I completely agree. It often gets set aside and people really do often think that they've arrived. Like they figured it out. We, you know, last year we talked about mission and vision and values this year, we can focus on other things. Well, certainly priorities shift and what has your, you know, what's on the forefront of your focus might shift, but it has to be there. It always has to be part of the conversation. Uh, and if, if not, what you end up seeing are behaviors that are inconsistent with the values uh, and the desired culture that you want within the organization. And that's something, you know, for me as someone both in an organization or leading an organization or trying to consult with an organization, that's my biggest pet peeve is I, I just can't stand when I have leaders who are saying one thing uh, and, and then they do something totally different. Mm-hmm. So you, you say that the employee experience is one of your core values. That's, that's awesome. Uh, employee success. Great. That's, that's wonderful. But then you have all these policies and practices that are in place that exploit your people. You know, that it, it clearly has no meaning and people aren't dumb and they, they, they recognize the incongruency there. And instead of driving any sort of meaningful, positive development and movement forward, it actually undermines trust. It undermines uh, the ability to, to do anything um, positive moving into the future. So I think we have to be very careful about that. And we, we need to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Yeah, I completely agree that there are, um, I, I, I compare the way your team watch you to the way a jealous spouse or a jealous partner watches you. Um, your team aren't jealous. They just want to know that you're going to deliver on the implicit agreement that you set with them. And that implicit agreement has to do with the values, which is often not defined well enough, but they know what they signed up for. And so as soon as you go against, but your behavior goes against what you've said, that, dis- that, that you know, creates a, a, a terrible disconnection between them, the culture, you, et cetera. So it's, but it's something that is rife. It's something that happens daily in organizations. And it's, it's, it's very frustrating um, to think that, there is this lack of awareness or emotional intelligence in, in the leadership to go and think, oh, well, I can get away with this because I am a leader. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What I see often is really this, there's one set of rules for the leaders, and then there's another set of rules for the quote unquote peons below, right? And that just doesn't work. So you might, if you're a leader and you kind of think that way, you think you can get away with something or you think different rules apply to you, you know, I, I think you're in for a rude awakening at some point because it's it's not sustainable. Um, that kind of an approach is going to undermine your moral leadership, your ability to have positive buy-in and influence uh, the people that uh, you work with. And so you have to be very, very thoughtful and careful about that. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard, not a lower standard uh, in terms of the values that are espoused. Absolutely. The highest standard point is spot on. Um, you know, if you, if you, even if you're on the same standard, that's not enough. You've just got to go a little bit further and, and demonstrate. And I, I recommend go, go towards the areas where psychological safety is, you know, go, show your, uh, demonstrate your mistakes, demonstrate your weaknesses, show, show that other people can do the same thing in your organization and they're not going to get, you know, their heads bitten off for, for making a mistake because that's those are the areas that all organizations are not very good at. You know, there are very few where you can actually go and say, yep, we've developed an environment of psychological safety here. And, 
you know, we really believe it and ask everybody in the team and they'll, they'll tell you it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in, in your book title, you talk about managing culture. Um, what do you mean by that? How do we manage culture? So we, we manage culture if we get it to a stage that it is, it, it's become habitual. Um, and we can look at it and go, okay, the, 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 the culture engine is working really well. And that means we can start to look to, to measure certain elements. So we can measure the engagement, which is what lots of companies are doing at, at, at the moment. You know, there's the basic survey tools, but we can measure feedback. We can measure the, the number of times people are giving and receiving feedback. We can measure the value of the feedback. We can measure um, the, the, that in relation to our customer NPS scores. And it's where you start to measure um, elements of your business that have something to do with the impact of culture. So employee retention, you know, if you're working hard on your culture, your, your employee retention, if you're hiring the right values for it, your employee retention should be fabulous. Your employee development and their learning and development, if you score them on how are you learning and what are you learning, if, they are, if they're on the upward curve, they're not going to leave you because they're developing and growing. And that's got to be part of your culture. If you are recognizing um, people who, when they, when they live their the behaviors, you can measure the recognition that's happening. Um, you can measure the reward that the rewards that are being given. You, there, are, there are ways to start to combine measurements of elements of your business where ultimately you can look at it and go, okay, I can, we can see that the engineering team are, you know, they're, they're, they're this, the last couple of months, you know, very low feedback scores, very low um, uh, perceived productivity. Um, we're getting a lot, of, a lot of the vibe that the communication is not going right. We're measuring the culture now. You know, people are starting to leave. We're measuring the culture. We're getting in the one-to-ones, we're getting a bit of negative feedback. We're measuring the culture. Okay, let's step in there and talk to the VP of engineering and see what's going on. Um, so that's what I mean by it's, it's combining elements of culture with elements of your OKRs and your, the way you run your business. And now looking at it and going, okay, we can see that we're on track here or we're, we're, starting, to, we're, we're starting to lose focus here. Yeah, those are great, great points. Now, we're getting close to time to finish up today, but I did want to make sure we had an opportunity to talk a little bit about this COVID environment in the virtual workforce and what that's meant for culture uh, and what you see happening as we start to come out of the pandemic. Uh, what does that mean for organizations as they're trying to, to develop, embed, manage their culture? Yeah, I think what I think what leaders need to do is the two things. We need to think about what we had and what we no longer have, or what we will have less of in the future. So, if we go fully remote, we will not have these things. If we go hybrid, we will have some of these things some of the time, but we can't rely on them. So, these things are osmosis, proximity, body language, being able to read body language. The immediate and reliable communication, asynchronous versus synchronous communication styles, information dissemination in an office happens easier to a degree, Um, informal and formal feedback, the recognition and reward, visibility and availability, 
these things where we are right now, we've lost them. We've lost control of the environment because people are now at home. We've lost structure because people are choosing when they want to work. We've lost the banter and camaraderie. And as a leader, you've got to think about, okay, how do I overcome this? How do we get ahead of these things because our culture is degrading? And the second thing one has to look at is really, what are the, what are the remote work companies, the best remote work companies, what are they doing and over-indexing on to, 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 to drive businesses where there are no offices, we, where they can't be lazy about their culture. They can't be lazier because there is no osmosis. They've got to, they've got to document things. They've got to define their processes more accurately. They've got to be deliberate about communication and communication architectures. They've got to think about structure and they've got to think about outcomes-based leadership, trust, transparency. These elements is, are where, as, as, as we come out of COVID, we're not going back to where we were by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, because the, the remote work cat is out of the bag, people want this now. They want to spend more time with their families, less, less, less time on the underground or in a car wasting your time. Um, and so how to balance this out and how to work out what is the right type of working model that takes remote people, the people who are working remotely and the people in the office into account so that they are on an equal footing and there are no second class citizens. I think those are great points and I completely agree. I think it's it's a brave new world, but we're not quite sure exactly how to do it uh, in most companies. But to your point, there are companies that have been remote predominantly or, or fully remote for a long time and it's not new and they've figured this out. I, I think many organizations who have been shoved into this virtual workspace uh, due to the pandemic, they've been just trying to you know get by. Um, they've been trying to bootstrap their way through this year. And now's the time though, that they need to take stock on the, where things have been degraded, what things need to be um, reinforced and, and redeveloped or, or further developed and look to these successful companies that have been doing it well uh, and, and talk to your people. I guess there's no substitute for just open communication. Talk to your people, um, see what they value, see what's important to them as you're trying to you know, figure out whatever this, this new workplace will look like, the, the hybrid approach, uh, virtual mix of virtual and in, in office uh, types of work, whatever it ends up looking like for your specific organization. We have to be able to balance all of those things. Uh, and there's no quick and easy answer to it. Uh, I think every organization has to wrestle with that themselves. Well, Brett, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, before we wrap up today, I just wanted to give you a chance to give the last word on the topic as well as share with listeners how they can get connected with you and find out more about what you do and what your your firm your and find out more about how your firm can help them. Thanks, John. Thanks very much for for sharing your time. It's I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I think the last word to to your listeners and your audience is really to um, to start thinking about culture as a as a function start thinking about what what would i do to start turning this into a function um and uh I, ultimately that's that's the best companies the companies that i've studied are run in this way it's the leader the leadership team view it as a function with a reporting structure um so in terms of me uh, my company is called culture gene which is culture g-e-n-e dot a-i um, I've got two books 
Own Your Culture and Culture Dex Decoded, which are on Amazon. Um, you can get Culture Dex Decoded on um, my website. You can find a, a free PDF copy there. If you want to reach out to me directly, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, but I'm also on email if, if I, I spend 25% of my time learning about culture. So if people want to, any of your audience want to reach out to me directly, I'm on brett at culturegene.ai and, you know, just happy to talk and learn and listen. Wonderful. Thank you, Brett. It has really been a pleasure talking with you. I have a feeling we could talk about this uh, on and on and on for hours. Uh, it's something we're both passionate about. And if you're open to it, I'd love to have you back on in the future where we can explore this in greater depth. Um, I do encourage listeners to, to reach out to Brett, get connected, find out more about uh, what he and his company can do for you and check out his books. Uh, and there's tremendous insight there that can really be helpful. And for everyone listening today, as always, I hope you can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.